Hi, this is Pastor David Cooper. Thank you for joining my podcast. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you. I also want to ask you to share the podcast with others. Together, we can make an impact in people's lives as we introduce them to the Word of God. Thank you for your partnership and ministry of the Mount Perrin family and our outreach. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you today. Today, let's talk about the most important prophecy in the Bible, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest prophetic promise of the Bible is the second coming of Jesus. Jesus came the first time to this world to redeem us of our sins through his cross and resurrection. And he will come the second time to reign as Lord of all. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews describes these two comings of the Messiah, Jesus. He, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as mankind is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time. Notice that he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hebrews 9, 26 and 29. He tells us clearly he will come a second time. Well, what will the second coming of Jesus be like? Let's look first about how he will return. The New Testament is written in the Greek language. It uses three different Greek words to describe the coming of Jesus at the end of the age. First of all, Jesus' return will be a parousia. And that word parousia appears 24 times. It means a personal appearing. It was used in ancient Greece to describe a king when he appeared in a royal procession, when he would make a personal visit to a province in his kingdom. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I love those words, the Lord himself. He's not sending an angel. He's not sending a messenger. He's not sending a representative. The Lord himself will send, descend from heaven with a shout. He'll come to this world. When we say that the return of Jesus is a parousia, a personal period, it means that his coming is not a metaphor. Some have said, well, Jesus isn't actually going to return. Yes, he is. Jesus will return literally, visibly, and victoriously to reign as Lord over politics, economics, ecology, and society. His return is a mystery. We don't understand everything about it. And it is a miracle of the power of God, but it is not a metaphor. Just as his first coming, is not a fictitious story, but a historical reality. Jesus will return again. It is a parousia. It is a personal return. Second of all, Jesus' return is called an epiphany in the Greek language. It's used five times. We use that word, epiphany. This means that it is a sudden and dramatic appearing, an epiphany. When Jesus came to the world in Bethlehem's manger, it was a quiet night. And his appearance into the world was almost unnoticed, except for those who were there at his birth. However, Jesus' return will happen suddenly and powerfully with a flash of lightning from the east to the west and with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. Jesus will come with the clouds of heaven and with a host of angels. And the Bible says in Revelation 1 verse 7, every eye will see him. Think about that. And through the power of technology, the whole world will be watching. What a grand entrance when Jesus, our Savior, returns. So his coming is a parousia, it's a personal coming. It is an epiphania, it is an epiphany, a sudden 
powerful appearance. And third of all, Jesus' return is an apocalypse from the Greek word apocalypsis. It is an apocalypse. That word means an unveiling, an uncovering of something that has been hidden. It is the word for revelation when God reveals something. That's why the last book of the Bible is called the book of Revelation. In the Greek, the title of this book is the apocalypse. When Jesus returns, his divinity will not be veiled by the garment of humanity, but the world will see him in all of his heavenly glory, the way the disciples saw his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, he tells us that Jesus took Peter, James, and John into a mountain to pray, and as he was praying, his garments were transfigured. They became dazzling white, the glory of his divinity. Moses and Elijah even appeared with him, and the disciples were overwhelmed with fear at the sight of his glory. Peter wanted to build three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That was the point of what they were seeing. But the Bible says that the voice of God spoke. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Jesus fulfilled the prophets and the law. Jesus tells the world, listen to him. He's the way, the truth, and the light. But they saw a glimpse of his glory. His humanity hid that glory while he was on this earth. But when he comes the second time, we'll see him in the fullness of his glory. Jesus will not return to this world as the baby in Bethlehem, the teacher of parables, the preacher of the gospel, the miracle worker, or even the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. He will come with the name that is above every name, Jesus. And with this inscription on his robe, King of kings and Lord of lords. So he'll return in a parousia, a personal return. He'll return as an epiphany, a bright, sudden, glorious return. He'll return in an apocalypse. His glory will be unveiled and revealed to the world. Now, Jesus' return is an end and a beginning. You see, every end in life is the beginning of something else. And so it is with God's economy. John the Revelator describes Jesus' victorious return at the end of the tribulation period in the battle of Armageddon. He writes, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. The armies of heaven were following him. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations. He'll rule them with an iron scepter. He, Jesus, treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Revelation 19, 11 through 16. That's a description of the battle of Armageddon in the return of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus returns, the Antichrist kingdom will be destroyed. John sees this and writes, Then I saw the beast, that is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. That's Jesus. But the beast was captured and within the false prophet who performed miraculous signs on his behalf. Well, these signs, he had deluded those who received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And the rest of them, that is the armies at Armageddon, were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. That describes the word of God, the power of Jesus' word. And all the birds gorge themselves on their flesh, Revelation 19, 17 through 21. That's a description of the battle of Armageddon. The final war, the end of all wars, but it describes the second coming of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. 
The Great Tribulation and the concluding Battle of Armageddon is not a tragic end to human history. Rather, it is the prelude to a new world order as Jesus will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 9, verse 7. So Jesus is coming again at the end of the tribulation, at the battle of Armageddon. All of that means that Jesus is coming to this world again as King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, how should Jesus' return affect us today? What should our posture be today as we live in this world and go about the activities of today, as we gather on Sundays and worship the Lord as we share our faith? How should it affect us? Well, Paul the Apostle expressed the hope we share in Christ's return in his last written words. Now, Paul was sitting in a Roman prison. This was at the end of his life, and he writes his last letter to Timothy, his son of the faith, a pastor. It's a letter to all of us. And he feels as though the end of his life is at hand, and it was. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. And then he makes this statement about what awaits all of us. He writes in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. Today we long for his appearing. We look forward to his appearing. Because the second coming of Jesus means a great reward for us, an eternal reward. Jesus promised a reward when he comes for us as people. In Revelation 22 and 12, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I'll give to every person according to what he has done. And Paul says, There's laid it for me in heaven a crown of righteousness, a great reward. But he said, Jesus would not only give it to me, but to all those who have longed for his appearing. You know, whether it's in this life or whether it's sometime in the future, we're all going to see the Lord. Remember the verse we shared earlier in Hebrews 9, 27? It is appointed unto mankind once to die and after that to face judgment. We will all go the way. And David said to Solomon, we'll go the way of all the earth. Our soul will appear before God in heaven. But we don't have to fear that day. First John 4, 17 says, We have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. We're like Jesus. We've been born again through faith in him. And whether you meet the Lord in heaven or you and I are alive to meet him when he returns, either way, there is a crown of righteousness, a great reward the Lord will give to us. So live your life with hope. Live your life with confidence. Live your life with purpose. Share Christ with your family and your friends. Be a part of the church. Support the church with your tithes and offerings, your prayers, your ministry, your service. The world needs the witness of the church. The church is the body of Christ on this earth, giving the world hope in Christ. Let's be about our mission in the world. One day Jesus will come again. We don't need to be overly concerned about that or even know all the details about it. Remember at the end of his life, as he came after the resurrection to the Mount of Olives, right before he left this world, what did he tell his disciples? Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, the disciples were thinking about the future. They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the world, to the end of the earth. Go to all four corners and tell them I love them and they can be saved and have eternal life. It's easy for people to get so caught up in Bible prophecy, but Jesus told them and tells us, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming again. Nobody can predict it. And the point of this study is not to predict anything, but to give you glimpses of what we do see in the scripture, of what's coming for us and God has prepared for us. Don't be overly concerned. Don't try to dig through the page of the scripture and prophetic books and try to discover every detail. Nobody knows all the details and the Lord doesn't want us to know. But just know that he is coming. And when he comes, he's coming with a great reward. And the most important thing is that you and I receive power today by the Holy Spirit and that we are witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that starts with our family and our friends to make sure that all of our family members, all of our friends hear about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus and to commit ourselves to the work of the church and the world, to reach out through missions work and through media to tell people the good news. What is the good news we're sharing? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Share that good news with everybody in your world, your private world where God has put you. Go to the ends of the world in your own world and tell them that Jesus loves them. Let's join together for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, I praise you for the promise of your return, and we trust you with prophetic history. And I pray for a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon all of our lives. Give us the grace and the wisdom to share your gospel with everyone to the ends of the world in our personal family and sphere of influence. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for spending this time with me and for sharing this Bible study with your family and your friends. It's one of the greatest gifts you can give them is the gift of the Word of God. We have three great resources you can go to to learn more about Bible prophecy. My sermon collection of three messages called The Last Days. I'll talk about Israel and Bible prophecy, Antichrist arising, and World War III. This Bible study, and of course, my book, Apocalypse, which you can get through the Mount Perrin store online or here on campus as well. It's a very simple, easy to understand guide through the entire book of Revelation. So we pray through the media ministry that these resources will be a blessing to you and to your family. Thank you for your gracious and faithful support of the church. I encourage you to support the work of the ministry wherever you are in the world. If you consider Mount Perrin your home church or you're a part of Mount Perrin, support the church with your giving. Support the church with your prayers. And certainly if you're here in the Atlanta area with your attendance and with your active service, the church is the body of Christ. We need a strong, visible, vibrant, victorious church to make an impact in the world for Christ. Thank you for your gracious and faithful support. I'm praying for you and your family. I look forward to seeing you Sunday for worship. God bless you. Thank you for joining me today as we've shared together the Word of God. Let me ask you to download the Mount Perrin Church app today so that we can stay connected and you can see all the great services and resources available for you and your family. Follow me on social media and also the Mount Perrin Church family. I look forward to seeing you in church to worship on campus and online. God bless you. Have an incredible day.